Hello and welcome to the IBMS Biopods. I'm Rob. And this is Becca. These Biopods will give you an insight into Congress with exclusive interviews, behind the scenes chit chat, and maybe even a drop of science. So put down your pets, move away from the microscope, and get ready for a Biopod Deep Dive. The interviews for this Biopod were recorded at IBMS Congress 2019. But due to the COVID 19 pandemic, I'm recording this introduction from my home office also known as my son's bedroom, on Wednesday the 25th of March. So apologies for the sound quality. This month, we speak to UCAS's Ben Courtney and Pathology Quality Manager, Deborah Padgett. So without further ado, let's begin this month's Biopod. Brilliant. Ben, hi, welcome to the IBMS Biopods. Love to have you here. Love um, to be here. Excellent, thank you. Uh, do you want to take a minute just to tell our listeners who you are, what you're about, what you do? I'll try. Uh, I'm Ben Courtney. I'm the section head of the medical laboratory section in UCAS. So I've got operational day-to-day management of all the med labs in, in UCAS. Excellent. Perfect. So Rob's going to chat to you now about what you do. Cool, so I'm sure many of our listeners know exactly what UCAS does, but there'll probably be a few that don't. Can you just talk us through your rough roles and responsibilities as an organisation? Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, we're the single national accreditation body within the UK, so uh, medical laboratories is just one section that we assess, but that's the area of my responsibility. Uh, And I was in charge of, for a period of time, CPA before that, clinical pathology accreditation. The, The CPA standards... Uh, we've withdrawn uh, September last year, where the transition to 15189 was completed. So day to day, I've got, what, 29 assessment managers now who go in to the laboratories on an annual basis now, uh, do a technical assessment with technical assessors regularly, and we assess the conformance of 15189 so that, so that the users of laboratory services have confidence in that service. Yeah. And I'm sure there isn't a typical assessment, but can you talk us through roughly what uh, you know an assessment might look like? Uh, I can do now that the initial ass- initial assessments are over, which were a nightmare. Um, the surveillance and reassessments that we, that we conduct now are laboratories that are accredited in a four-year cycle. So we'll go annually, we'll turn up nine o'clock each time, and we'll be there until five o'clock. Now, usually, depending on the size of the laboratories, that, that assessment will last one day but you'll have a lead assessor assessing the quality management system and then technical assessors assessing the technical activities. Now, depending on the scope of that lab, that might be one, two, three or more technical assessors, but ultimately that's, that's how a, a normal assessment goes. So it will vary depending on the size of the lab, but usually it can be done in a day in a surveillance visit. Um, what's the relationship with the staff like when your assessors are there? Can they, can they just kind of sit down and chat? Can they have a cup of coffee with them? Or is it a lot more kind of formal standing back with a clipboard? To, to, like? to be honest, uh, I've encouraged for a number of years that the best and most effective way to get a good assessment and to find out the most about an assessment is to have a collaborative approach. It's got to be a team, team-based team effort between the assessment team and the laboratory. And that's where a good relationship between the assessment manager and the laboratory staff is key because if you can get them to open up with them I find that often the best way is to start an assessment and cover a lot of requirements sit down and have a chat and just talk yeah yeah Brilliant. and I think you said in your talk earlier on at the IBMS Congress mm. that um, you weren't kind of this wasn't your exact phrasing but you weren't looking for problems you were looking to see that people were conforming is, uh, that, is, that, is that kind uh, of central to the approach absolutely that, that underpins UCAS's uh, approach to assessments we aren't looking for non-conformance. 
Uh, believe it or not, we don't go, have, go back to the ranch each week and compare the number of findings that we've each found. We actually, that makes work for ourselves. What we're looking for is conformance. So we will ask questions until we find, we, you know, we might find that the laboratory staff just need to find the right person to speak to. To, to ensure that they've got the conformance and the evidence that they need to show us. Well, that's, that's our approach, absolutely, that we want them to show that they are conforming with requirements. And, and what are the benefits of accreditation? Can you talk us through those? Well, the benefits, I would, I would absolutely say that, um, especially in the transition to 15189, laboratories that hadn't verified their methods ever, which, were, which was common, um, it, it proved to them, actually, that their methods worked. And now they have assumed that for a long time before that and, and probably in most cases that might have been a safe assumption but now they have the evidential proof that it's worked. So, so they know that their methods are fit for purpose. Now that provides confidence for them which then feeds down to the users of the service and ultimately patients. And this is all about patient safety at the end of the day isn't it? This is all about providing a good service to patients and, and I think that's what accreditation delivers. It reduces risk because what, what international standards have proven to deliver is if laboratories, or regardless of sector, meet a particular international standard, management requirements and technical requirements, then that reduces the output risk. And that's a really important concept, I think, to remember, that, that accreditation delivers across the board. Yeah. And, and with future changes in the pipeline, um, digital pathology, yeah mergers and pathology networks, does that type of stuff have an impact on UCAS and your, and your accreditation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned to you before, Rob, that I'm going to a technical advisory committee meeting for the rest of the day after this. And key to that is to be forward thinking and look what's on the horizon because UCAS needs to be adaptable, flexible and understanding of future, future issues and future technologies to ensure it is future proof. And we continue to meet the needs of, of our customers uh, because UCAS has to be aware of what's coming up on the horizon. So yeah, absolutely, we have development activities ongoing all the time to make sure you, uh, UCAS and accreditation continues to be fit for purpose. And are, are there any myths around UCAS, things that people, that, you know, I think you mentioned earlier yeah. on uh, something to do with pricing. Talk us through any myths and kind of preconceptions uh, that people might have do, that aren't true. Do, 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 there are stacks of, of myths and, and some might be as a result of uh, Chinese whispers and, uh, or, or exaggerations over the time. But the key one is that we're, we're, we're looking for non-conformance. Uh, the other would be that um, we're obsessed about metrological traceability. Actually, what we're obsessed about is the fitness for purpose of the service. And thirdly, um, um, I think when developing areas, particularly point of care testing, which is a key area that we're looking to develop and provide accreditation services to, there's a, there's a, a large misconception about the costs associated with, with point of care testing. And I think that's where laboratories and potential customers really need to speak to their assessment managers or myself about the potential way forward, what the scope of that activity might be, and then they can get a realistic estimate for that particular laboratory, which will be different to the next laboratory down the road. Hmm. And if someone's listening, they've got an assessment coming up, if you could give them one bit of general advice to all labs pre-assessment, what would that be? One bit of advice, the single biggest thing, piece of advice, whether it's an extension, whether it's a surveillance visit, whether it's a new applicant, regardless, is always stay in close contact with your assessment manager. Don't be worried about how they're going to interpret it, because more often than not, we don't provide consultation or advice, but we do provide some sort of guidance about 
what the problems are and what we can do from an accreditation perspective. And the sooner we know something, the sooner we can adapt to laboratories' needs. Now that's really important with the current changing face of accreditation across the UK with networks, with mergers. As soon as we know when something's happening, we can, we can look to help. Brilliant. And if someone has an assessor coming along, what type of biscuits should they get in? Is there a specific biscuit that you look there, for? There, there absolutely is. I mean, I say we don't like to be black and white, but there, but there has to be, has to be chocolate digestives. Chocolate they, digestives. Yeah, because that's why I feel like the best. Perfect. We're going to put you on the spot a bit. Yeah. So we're going to start off with, what is your favourite piece of lab equipment? Oh, a quick fire round. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, an egg applet. Okay, excellent. Do you have a favourite pathogen? Yes, Haemophilus aphrophilus. What is that? <laughs> That's an Haemophilus. No, it's a, it's a, it, I, just, I like it because of its name. Yeah. No, there's no it's other good name. Uh, Rolls off but the tongue. The other one I like is Yersinia pestis, which is uh, bubonic plague. Oh, that's fun. Don't <laughs> to see that these days. No, thankfully not. Uh, best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, be open-minded. Um, describe your job in three words. Um, uh, collaborative. Uh, flexible and um, uh, understanding. Excellent. Do you have a science hero? Uh, it would have to be. Uh, this is the one everyone finds really hard. Yeah, I know there's too many. <laughs> as a scientist, there's too many. No. You can go for another. I'm going to have to go to Isaac hero. Newton just because. Just because. Okay, because. Just because. Yeah, fair. Um, and finally, what is your favourite thing about Congress? Um, you forget two years in between. Favourite thing about the, the, the number of people you meet. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Great. So now we're going to do overrated, underrated, and correctly All rated right, okay. with Rob. Okay, Ben. Team building exercises: underrated, overrated, or correctly rated? Correctly rated. Yeah? And why is that? Uh, because you think it's overrated when you go into it, but when you come out of it, you realise they're underrated. So it balances the two out. I, I, I go on annual. I take my staff on annual. Uh, team building exercises and there's an apprehension just before why you organise it thinking this isn't going to work but it always does. Yeah. Um, lab coats. Lab coats. Under, uh, um, uh, correctly rated. Yeah. Uh, Socialising with colleagues. Be, very, be, be, be careful. Underrated. <laughs> underrated. Underrated, yeah. yeah. Uh, writing those little notes in uh, leaving and birthday cards. Overrated. Have you have you got a standard note? What's your um? Well, the standard is best wishes. <laughs> nice and insincere. <laughs> um, social media in the workplace. Um, I think I've underrated it. Yeah. Oh, as in as in as in like on your phone? When... As in no, as in promoting. Oh, your no, workplace no, yeah, through. I've underrated it. I've realised the the um, the benefits of it now. Yeah. Only about five years late. <laughs> Early adopter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally, night shifts. Uh, overrated. Have you had to do them back in the day? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, money's good, but but yeah, the, the fact that you've got less to do and nobody to talk to and you're tired, it's just, uh, it's not worth the money. Yeah. Well, to me at that time, it wasn't worth the money. Brilliant. And we, we've been asking as well, we'll cut this if you haven't, but have you got a favourite science joke? You seem like you might have a good science joke. Uh, absolutely not. I used to do that. What I've done is I used to have loads of naff jokes and they've been pushed out of my brain over the years. Yeah. And replaced with more important stuff. Sorry. No. That's okay. I'm, 
lack of entertainment there, sorry. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. Right. Really appreciate it. All right, thank you. So, Deborah, welcome to the Ivy Mess Biopod. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to, ch to chat to us. Nice to um, So, if you just want to give us a little instructions to who you are, what you're about, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So, I am Infection Sciences Operational Manager in North Cumbria in Carlisle. Um, so, I manage immunology, microbiology and virology on my, as my day job. Um, but I'm also one of the privileged members of council with the Institute of Biomedical Science. Um, so, yeah, fantastic role to have, helping to advocate for the profession. Um, and I also hold um, the current chair of membership and marketing as well within the Institute. Excellent. Many hats then. Yeah, yeah, one or two. One or two. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps you occupied. <laughs> and how, how do you cope with such a varied, wide workload? Um, Luckily, I'm not the kind of person that needs a massive amount of sleep, which I think is absolutely essential when doing all of these job roles. Um, our day jobs as pathology managers are getting more and more stressful. Um, so all joking aside, doing the day job is, goes way and, beyond, way and beyond the 37 and a half hours that I'm paid for. Um, uh, what do you think typically? How many hours a week do you think? Oh, at the moment, I'm probably working 58, 60 hours on my day job and then um, trying to do the extracurricular stuff on top of that. Um, so yeah, weekends, I, I do have a family, um, but they're very, very understanding, hugely supportive, um, and you just get really good at being resourceful with your time. I think that's the main thing. From an institute point of view, um, it's one of those things where my hubby says, do you not think you maybe need to just reconsider no, it's the bit that I absolutely love. Yeah. It really is that being a spokesperson for the profession is, is what gives you that buzz. And, and how do you define quality? It seems like kind of quite an abstract concept and something that maybe people listening won't be able to recognise something as that yeah. is quality, that is not quality. Um, so in my previous role, I used to be a pathology quality manager um, before I came back into uh, the laboratory side of things. Um, and quality management, it underpins everything that we do. So if we want to ensure that we're sending out the right result on the right patient at the right time to ensure that they have the best possible hope of getting better, we have to make sure the quality is underpinning the whole laboratory service. Um, and again, something that I feel quite passionately about. Um, and so again, being able to be part of Congress and part of the quality management stream today is just kind of giving a little bit of something back. It's a fantastic networking opportunity for our members that often have quite isolated roles as mm. quality managers. Um, so being able to pull us all together, we are quite geeky. <laughs> but we do come together and, and learn a lot from each other. And, and from your session at IBMS Congress today, mm -hmm. it sounded like a lot of your job centres around communication. Yeah. Is that something that you've always been good at or is that something that's no. developed as you've taken on the role? Because it is not a typical... People don't think biomedical scientist communication as the kind of key no, skill don't. that you need. Rob, are you trying to say that I'm chatty? Yes, <laughs> yes. As a Geordie, that's, uh, you know, that's us. Um, no, 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 not at all. I think as you come in as a, as a scientist fresh from university, um, it's something that you have to learn to develop. Um, often people are biomedical scientists because they don't want to be forward-facing. They're quite introverted souls. Um, and so pushing yourself outside of that comfort zone is something that you really, really have to work on. 
moving into the management side of things and certainly coming to Congress and doing things like this. Um, developing all of those extended communication skills are absolutely imperative and learning how to deal and communicate with different ranges of people was something that I'd completely underestimated mm. before I went into any management roles and so tailoring your communication is so so important but yeah you get better at it. Yeah and you also have some kind of contact with the, the public is that right? So, so. Yeah to a to a greater or lesser extent, um, I suppose from, from my day job, being an operational manager, I'm, or, or as a quality manager, I'm often the port of call for the complaints that may come in. Um, as I said in my presentation earlier, sometimes it's the compliments too. Sometimes mm. we get some lovely stuff saying you know, how wonderfully um, our patients have been treated and, and from other um, healthcare professionals as well. But generally, it is more dealing with the, well, why can't I have my, my results today? And what is the delay? And is there an issue? Um, and learning how to be able to keep people calm and talk them through. And it's, it's all about, as I said in my presentation, it's all about having that underpinning knowledge and competence to be able to deal with what you're doing mm. and just take the time to explain those processes to people so that they, they get a grasp of what goes on in a laboratory which, if you spoke to Joe Bloggs on the street, they often don't know what happens to their urine sample when it comes into a laboratory. Yeah. So, um, and I suppose that's one of the other reasons that I'm so heavily involved in the Institute about raising the profile of our profession and really helping the public understand that healthcare doesn't stop with the GP and the doctor's surgery. And, and is it one of the hardest things dealing with the complaints? I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said no. Um, it's hard to take criticism about mm. something that you feel very strongly about and very protective of. Um, but I suppose swap my hat and go back to my quality hat. Any complaint, any issue, any um, non-conformance in a system is an opportunity to learn and improve. Not everyone else sees it like that sometimes, but again, it's just about taking the time with the staff to say, look, this is what went wrong. How do we make it better and how do we stop it happening again? Mm. So, yeah. And what was the nicest, in fact, before we go on to that, is it, is it quite tricky when the NHS is under a lot of pressure, biomedical scientists are under a lot of pressure, do you, do you ever get complaints and think, yes, the, the, the public are completely right, but there's oh. just nothing that we can do? I think, I think we have that um, more and more regularly these days. Um, we, we have a number of conflicting issues within the NHS. Um, we are woefully under-resourced, both from a finance point of view, but also from a staffing point of view. We have a particular issue in Cumbria because we have huge problems with recruitment and retention. Beautiful part of the world, but people generally come there to retire, not to progress mm. their career. So that's a challenge. Um, and so when you're dealing with complaints and issues, and people are, are saying, well, you know, why hasn't my result come out fast enough? And I, hand on heart, have to say, because I don't have enough staff to be able to deliver it. That's so, so difficult. Um, but defending the staff that are still in post, who are working their backsides off to provide the best possible care, is also what I'm there for. Yeah. And do, do you think there's any solution to that? Because whenever a new health secretary comes in, <laughs> they tend to not have any more money. 
but think I can do this special rejig that no one's thought of, <laughs> and that will free up some time, that will free up capacity. Yeah. Do, do you think there are any answers, or is it just um, more money and more staffing? No, I, I think we have to take some responsibility for what we do as well. There's only so many times that you can say, I haven't got enough staff and I haven't got enough time. Because in reality, we know they aren't going to change anytime soon. So we have to take responsibility for our own laboratory services and think more strategically about how we can change, how we can adapt, how we can improve, um, to try and make those small gains along the way to help that process a little bit smoother for people. And whilst not everyone likes the idea of networks and consolidations, in some instances, that may be what we need to be able to deliver this. In some instances, it may not, though. And I think that's the important thing. We need to look at each case individually. Each lab needs to take responsibility for themselves and say, hand on heart, are we doing the best thing for our patients, or do we need to think about a different way of doing it? And Finally, what's the one thing that people listening to this can do to make quality managers' life easier? What could they do so you're not having to work 50-hour days? Smile when we walk in a room <laughs> instead of mourning. No, I'm only joking. Um, I think um, more and more now, um, laboratory staff are understanding, as I started my talk today by saying, quality is everybody's responsibility. And once upon a time, it was either the quality manager or the lab manager who dealt with all of the quality aspects and the staff were told what to do. Now the emphasis has completely shifted and the staff are way more involved than they used to. So if you have an idea about how to improve something, stick your hand up, make sure your voice is heard. That's the most important bit. Brilliant. I'm going to pass you over to Becca. <laughs> Excellent. So this is our quick fire round. Oh joy, because um, <laughs> that wasn't hard enough. <laughs> These are fairly light-hearted. Uh, don't read too much into them. Mm. Um, so here we go. We'll start off with what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Never trust a man who cooks carrots and peas in the same pan. Please don't put that in. Okay. But think about it for a minute. <laughs> um, oh, um, always take the time to listen. That's nice, actually, and very important, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. From a staff point of view, from a family point of view, always take the time to listen, because if someone's trying to tell you something, they're doing it for a reason. And scary how many, how often it's yes. not the case. Yes, Excellent. absolutely. Who is your science hero? <gasps> oh. Oh. Hans Christian Graham. Why? because he developed the gram stain. It was his birthday just a couple of days ago and it was the Google Doodle for the day. Very timely. Absolutely. Um, and as a microbiologist, first and foremost, um, we wouldn't be able to deliver what we do if we'd never had the gram stain to be able to identify our organisms. Excellent, good answer. Um, describe your job in three words. And you can choose any of your many hats <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, Inspirational, challenging, rewarding. Lovely. Nice journey there. Mm. Excellent. Um, this might not be applicable. What, what is your favourite piece of lab equipment? Oh, um, I don't know, to be honest. Do you have a favourite pipette? <laughs> I was going to say, probably a pipette, because it's so multifunctional. Yeah, probably just a good old pipette. 
Excellent. Perfect. And what is your favourite pathogen? Um, oh, um, tuberculosis. Only because... <laughs> yeah, no, 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 but there's a story behind it. When I was a trainee microbiologist um, and I was on the enteric bench, and so we look for an organism called um, Cryptosporidia and it fluoresces under UV mm. micros microscopy. And I knew what I was looking at down the microscope it wasn't a Cryptosporidia, they're little round things. And this was a long, skinny thing. And I knew exactly what it was, and it was TB. And it was someone who'd had a chronic chest infection, but it attracted their gastrointestinal tract, Gosh. and that's how we diagnosed their TB. That's fantastic. Mm, there you go. Excellent. <laughs> and lastly, you have sort of answered this, but what is your favourite thing about Congress? Oh, learning. Absolutely learning. The learning and the networking, they go hand in hand. So being able to either share what I do or learn from other people and have time with other people who are equally as geeky as I am mm. about science. So quite job affirming then. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Excellent. Perfect. I'm going to hand you back to Rob for some... Oh. Okay, so this is overrated, underrated, and correctly rated. Uh -huh. um, and feel free to expand on your answer <laughs> if you want, or if you think it's a rubbish question, just with a warm-word answer, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so team-building exercises, underrated, overrated, or correctly rated? Correctly rated in the correct context with the correct resources to deliver them properly. How often is that the case? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you just have anarchy. <laughs> um, lab coats. Oh, massively underrated. So, so very, 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 very important. And speaking to a microbiologist, yes, not just a lab coat, a Howie coat, if you don't mind. So, a proper lab coat. And I think I probably know the answer to this one, but socialising with colleagues. Yes, hugely underrated. Um, can't wait to get across to the pub tonight and chat to other people informally, formally, scientific, non-scientific opportunity to learn. Uh, messages in birthday and leaving cards at work. Stressful, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said all of that to them before they leave. <laughs> um, social media in the workplace. Oh. Oh, I, I'm not sure I can rate at all. Can be so good, can be so dangerous. Correctly rated, again, in the correct context. Just be really careful of the pitfalls. Yes. And the final overrated, underrated, correctly rated is night shifts. Um, correctly rated. They are there for a reason to provide the patient with the result when they need it. Brilliant. Deborah? There's one final section we have, which is if you've got a favourite science joke that you'd like to oh, share God, with no. the audience. <laughs> no, I really if haven't. If you don't, <laughs> I really then, uh... haven't. I can't remember any jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I thought we left that to last. Fail miserably on that one, I'm afraid, Rob. Great. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And don't forget, this can be used for your CPD. See you next month for another Biopod. This is Becca. And Rob. Signing, signing off. off. Bye. Bye.